Numbers chapter 23. I had greatly enjoyed the time of prayer this morning, <clears throat> as well as the time of singing hymns and psalms. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. I pray the Lord would bless us this morning with his presence and with his word. Psalm 23, one verse, verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? And our text, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You know, while contemplating our text this past week, reminded me of the many dangers and challenges <clears throat> a preacher faces as he seeks to study God's word in order that he might rightly divide its truths the spiritual nourishment and exhortation of God's people, his own weaknesses and infirmities, surely chief amongst them all. Not to mention the temptations of Satan and the world. And though all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, according to 2 Timothy 3. Yet how to rightly divide that same word for the spiritual nourishment and comfort of God's people is often his greatest challenge. Did I truly study enough? To show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Is it a text of my own choosing or truly one of God's? Do I seek man's approval and applause or God's? Or are my words too strong, too weak? Was there enough doctrine? enough reproof, enough correction, enough exhortation. Was I instant in season and out of season? And yet over the years, I have often found that many times that the sermon has had the greatest effect upon God's people when the preacher is the least aware of it. Beloved, these and countless more are the thoughts every true preacher carries with him into the pulpit every Sunday. And yet often he leaves the pulpit more times than not with little satisfaction that he has faithfully fulfilled his divine calling to preach the word. I say all that because I covet your prayers for every sermon 
Every week we meet. I need divine assistance if I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth for the nourishment of your souls. And yet it is a special display of God's grace when preparing to preach on a text, God's providence bears witness to the text that he believes he has given him. And so it is with today's text. With the death of a professing Christian this past week in the nursing home. The approaching death of yet another in the nursing home. The remembrance this past week of my own dad's passing. And lastly, but surely not the least, are remembering our Lord's death this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. These things assure me of our text. And that is rare for a preacher. Let me die the death of the righteous. And let my last end be like his. I'm certainly no expert on this subject. Yet, with my becoming older, and therefore closer to that day when I myself, if the Lord delays his coming, shall go the way of all the earth, and with the circumstances surrounding my secular job, working in a nursing home, where over the past 15 years I have witnessed the death of many. I walk down the hallways of our nursing home every day, remembering the rooms and the faces of people that were once alive and yet are now dead. I've seen death and man's end, and it's often on my heart and mind. That doesn't make me an expert, but I truly believe that gives me enough experience to be able to preach on this text this morning with some understanding. And I hope and pray I could be a comfort to a special sort of people, a special, distinct sort of people that I believe in many ways are often neglected when we preach. And it's to those, the righteous, or facing death themselves. I've seen some very strong professing Christians weaken and be filled with fear and doubt facing this king of terrors. And over the years, I've become aware that there are a lot of Christians who have an intellectual understanding of death Maybe even quote scriptures regarding to the resurrection and what we have in Christ. And yet, because they've never come near this king of terrors, they speak out of ignorance. Let me tell you something, never un underestimate, never underestimate the power of this last enemy to cast a shadow of fear and doubt, even in the strongest of believers when they face that final enemy we call death. 
I was very greatly humbled pondering this text that how often I have in the past when facing Christians who were dying or very ill, so lightly spoke of this text. Brought it even closer to mind when I was reminded of the time that we lost our son when people tried to give me some kind of comfort that never had such loss or suffered such a loss. It was hard for me to take their words truly for the simple fact they had no idea what they were talking about, even though it was scripture. You see, that's why we as Christians have to be careful. Knowledge alone of itself is not enough. It's not enough. We must be careful as Christians when we're dealing with the pains and sufferings of others. Simply casting out scripture with no understanding of what we're saying or the heartache and pain felt by those we're speaking to are of no benefit to nobody but our own pride and ego. Death for many people is a very uncomfortable and a disturbing subject. Even for Christians sometimes. There's a finality to it. Jesus wept at the graveside of his friend whom he loved. Paul, speaking of another brother that was nigh death, said that he was greatly afraid that he would depart. Paul was grieved by that. This king of terrors has a power. The Bible calls it the power of the grave. And we know the Lord has redeemed us from the power of grave. We understand that. We, under, we know that. But never underestimate its tactics or its ability to cast a shadow of fear and doubt even amongst the greatest of believers. Oh, because when you, when you get close enough to look into the face of him, if you're not prepared, and I hope and pray this morning you will be a little bit more prepared, because we should be, but I've seen and experienced many who are not. And I wish so to strike terror, not in the hearts of God's people, but in him who is the king of terrors, and that by Christ Jesus, uh, who has defeated him. Even though it's inevitable for every man, many seek to avoid, even postpone its coming. Yet to no avail. To the young, death is behind them. Yet for the old, it's staring them directly in their face. And that's sometimes with great fear. Speaking to a preacher of over 40 years on his 
deathbed, I asked him what he was thinking of. And he looked at me and he said, I'm thinking of what it is to die. Last week, spoke to a man who professes to be a believer, and I believe he is. In the morning, I went into his room to pray with him, as I do every day, and read scripture. He looked at me, glazy eyes, because he's on drugs as well with his pain, tears rolling down his cheek, and he said, last night, I, I was afraid. I seen death, and I was afraid. And then I read in Psalm 23, John 14, and John 17. I will that they be with me where I am. Let not your heart be afraid. The Lord is my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy. And after those, those tears of sorrow turned into tears of joy. And he smiled with a glare in his eyes. He was assured. So you see... Even the greatest of saints, when facing this king of terrors, can tremble. That's why this morning I pray God would grant the righteous the peace and joy of knowing that in Christ, this once king of terrors has been, by God's grace, transformed into an usher, a summons. of his calling his own into his presence. It's a summons of your heavenly father. That's what death is. I want you to remember that. If you forget everything else, remember that this morning. Death is merely a summons of your heavenly father to come into his presence. Rise. Come away with me, my beloved. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Yet that's something that we as God's people need to spend our time living to be more acquainted with. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end what follows. Let my last end be like his. That which makes these words of Balaam so profound and yet amazing is that they come from one who himself was not righteous. And yet is not the life of the righteous he envies, but his death and his end. Don't misunderstand this. It's not so much how you live, but yet it is, but more so how you die. <coughs> Are you following me? Amen. How you die. People profess to be living for Christ all the time. And to be honest with you, living for Christ is harder than dying because to live for Christ in this world is hard. It's hard. Cross-bearing, self-denial, deny the world. The world hates you. Uh, it's hard living for Christ. But beloved, you can talk all about living for Christ. My question to you is, can you die? Or are you willing to die in Christ? 
subject this morning, though it concerns us all, is one which I wish to direct particularly to those who are righteous, because that's whom Balaam speaks of, the death of the righteous. Righteous not by their own works, but righteous because of Christ. And particularly those who know they are near the end of their pilgrimage on earth, those whose now weakened body is tottering and groaning from the wages of sin, those who are coming so near to death, they can sense it, they can feel it, they can taste it. And oh, it can be an overwhelming experience. Hear the words of Balaam, ye righteous saints who are lingering on the very edge of eternity. Hear the words of Balaam this morning. Hear the words of Balaam. I beg of you, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like unto his. Let those words sink deep into your hearts and your minds. Because herein is an amazing thing that he who himself was not righteous would envy not the life but death of the righteous and their end. Of which I wish this morning to briefly, briefly speak on. He's not a righteous man, but he knows enough about God and religion, let's even throw theology in there, that he understands how the righteous are going to die and what their end is. He knows enough about that that he envies it. So you this morning that have sat under preaching for years or months and you've heard the preaching of the Word of God, you're in the same predicament as Balaam. You've heard what the death of the righteous is and you've heard their end and yet like Balaam, will you die in your sins knowing these things? Balaam did. What a tragedy. What a tragedy for those who sit so long under the preaching and yet continue to deny what they've come to know. Balaam never converted. Balaam never turned to God. Yet he knew enough about the righteous and their God and death that he knew how they would die and he knew what their end would be and he envied that. Do we not see that around the world today when people live their lives the way they want to and the pleasures of sin? And then when it comes to death, just like many in the nursing home, they want nothing to do with God. But when it comes to dying, then the family comes and says, Preacher, would you please preach over my loved one? Because there's something about when a preacher preaches over the funeral or over the death of somebody, it sanctifies them or makes them feel better. They do the same thing today. Yet while they lived, they wanted nothing to do with Christ. Yet now in death, they call for a preacher. Yet even in this perilous times we live in, in this wicked world, that is even changing. 
a year or two years ago when I was at the funeral of somebody talking to the funeral director and I told her that I was a pastor. She said, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody, when someone died, requested a preacher. Do you know a preacher? Can you find a preacher for us? She said, nowadays, more and more, don't even want a preacher over them. They just want to have some kind of a service without preaching, without any. She said, in the last 10 years, that's changed radically. They don't even want a preacher anymore. But Balaam is like many today. While they lived life, they desired nothing of the God of the righteous. Yet with the coming of death, the king of terrors, now they long and desire the comforts and hopes the righteous have in their death. They want the same comforts and hope the righteous have in their death, like Balaam. Oh, let me die. Let me die the death of the righteous. Balaam, in this moment, was in no threat of dying. His wicked king had called him to come and curse Israel. God didn't let him. And yet when Balaam sees this multitude of Israel, that he can't count, what is foremost on his mind is the way they die. And they're ending. Over the years, especially in Germany, when our dealing with the drug addicts and the homeless and the alcoholics and people would come. They would try to find some comfort in a preacher doing at the funeral service for their loved one. And yet while that loved one was alive, they wanted nothing to do with God. But they knew there was something in the death of the righteous. And though they knew they were not righteous like Balaam, they envied that. Would you come and say some words over my loved one? As though that could somehow help them. It won't help you. You die with Christ, the greatest preacher in the world can stand over you and preach the greatest sermon man has ever heard. Yet if you die without Christ, those words will have no effect upon your soul, which is already condemned. Let me die the death of the righteous. Have no fond and vain hopes of a deathbed conversion. For though nothing is impossible for God, beloved, that is a risk. My friend, that is a risk which is infinitely more dangerous than you want to take. You are not promised a deathbed religion. I have till tomorrow. I have till next week. I've got time. Let me tell you a secret here before I move on to the righteous, because I really want you to get this. If you, by God's grace, sense just an inkling in your heart of your need of Christ, don't you let that leave. You hold on to that and you pray over that and you keep that. Because the more you reject that, the more harder your heart will become. Just an inkling of conviction. Do you realize that's all it takes? Just an inkling. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Balaam, though he knew much about the death of the righteous and their end, never came to know it when death came to him. Like I said, knowledge itself of the blessings of the death of the righteous and the joys of their end will not secure nor avail you any comfort when once the king of terrors comes to claim your soul. It is appointed. It is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. But after this, no purgatory, no in-between place, but after this, judgment. For one to enjoy the blessings of the death of the righteous and the unspeakable joys of their end, beloved, one must be found or made righteous in life. You can't be made righteous in death. You follow me? Once you die, you can't be made righteous. You've got to be made righteous in life, and that by Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, now to the death of the righteous and their end. Let me die the death of the righteous. And let my last end be like his. Like I said before, let these words of Balaam sink into your heart, your mind, especially those of you who are literally looking at face directly, death directly in the face. Let these words sink in. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Do you notice that Balaam even declares the righteous are not spared from death. Let me die the death of the righteous. The righteous are not spared from death. Sinner and saint, one event, the Bible says, happeneth to them all. There is no discharge in this war. Speaking of death, Ecclesiastes 8.8. 8. No, the saint and sinner both die. We're not spared death. Listen to me, saint of God, child of God. There is no getting out of this war. There is no discharge of this. We are all, if the Lord doesn't come back, we are all going to die. Yet while the sinner foolishly and vainly seeks to avoid, even to postpone and delay this inevitable and unavoidable divinely appointed day, and that's what they try to do, try to speak to a lost man about death. He wants to speak about everything but death. It's taboo. America is not like Germany. In Germany... Uh, the graveyards here in America, the graveyards are, I mean, they're just, there's nothing. I mean, look out there and there's just headstones and, and all over the place and no trees, no nothing, at least here in Texas. It, it looks like a, a wilderness. But in Germany, man, the graveyard is many times the most beautiful place in the entire city. They have big, huge trees, huge trees, flowers. They plant flowers on the grave. They they run water throughout the whole graveyard to where people can get water for their flower. They put bushes on their graves. Let them grow for a year. It's beautiful. Oftentimes, I went to the graveyard just to sit and meditate. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place. What are they trying to do? They're trying to beautify it. When you go to a funeral, what do they try to do? They try to beautify it. 
They embalm the body. They try to dress it up in a nice suit. They put it in a nice-looking coffin, put flowers on it. They, they do make every effort they can to make death something beautiful. And yet it's not. The sinner tries to postpone, delay. Yet listen to me, righteous saints of God. Yet from the moment one is converted by the grace of God, and I'm telling you, young Christian, you might be young, you might be healthy, you might think you have many years. Let this thought sink deep into your hearts and begin meditating on these things we're preaching this morning now. Okay? From the moment one is converted by the grace of God, we are taught by Scripture to set our heart and affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Do you know that? Yeah. Have you ever noticed, think about it for a minute, maybe subconsciously you didn't realize it, but you ever noticed since the moment you were saved, something draws your affections upward. Yeah. Immediately. You might not think on it as much as you should, but oh, I'm telling you, your affections are drawn upward. Over in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Well-known passage of Scripture. Verse 1, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, in your mind, in your heart, you're risen with Him, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections and things above, on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. You see? Death happens to the believer before we're physically put in the grave. Do you know that? We died with Christ. The church has failed. The church has failed in preaching this. The church has failed in instructing God's people on this most important subject. You've already been killed. You've already been dead in Christ. For ye are dead, not will be dead. Ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You see the metaphor there? You see the, you see the combination there? You're dead. Your life is hid with Christ. So you see, from the moment of our conversion, from the moment of our conversion, Scripture teaches us to set our hearts and affections on the things above. Teaches us that we're dead to ourselves. We're alive in Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified. You're taught that from your early age, are you not? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's already happening. So young believer, don't make the same errors of many elder believers who are facing death today. Start now acquainting yourself more and more with the fact that you are dead in Christ and your life is someplace else. Scripture is clear on how or the means by which the righteous come to their end, namely by death, if the Lord does not return. How and the means by which we come to our end. 
What did Balaam say? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like theirs. How do we get to that end? Death. Are you following me? Death. See, here we are. Welcome to Christ. Here's Christ and our end. That which is in the middle is death. The sinner's fear it. It torments them. The Christian goes, no. It's through you I must go to get there. So let me joyfully embrace thee. Let me gladly embrace thee. Yet do not underestimate the powerful influence this once king of terror has. The fear of death, which holds men their lifetime in bondage, Hebrew says, listen to me. Christ came to destroy him, that text. We'll see that in closing in a few minutes. But I'm telling you, this, this fear of death, which, which holds men their lifetime in bondage, is a mighty, powerful thing. It holds them their entire lifetime. And it still seeks to bring the righteous into that same fearful bondage again. Are you following me? It still seeks to bring the righteous when they're facing that final enemy, that last enemy, it still seeks to bring them into bondage again. And let me tell you something. Positive persuasion is not going to be that which drives that fear and terror out of your heart. It's got to be Christ. Are you following me? It has to be Christ. You know why a lot of Christians face fear when they're dying? is because they didn't know Christ well enough when they lived. Right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down, so forth and so on. Then at the end of it, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because the Lord has been leading him and guiding him and directing him and comforting him in life. The reason why we fear death is because we did not walk with him close enough in life. Oh, it's still a long way away. No, it's not. No. Only God knows the precise time. We don't. We don't know how. We don't know how we're going to die. We don't know the means by which we'll be carried out of this world. Will it be with illness? Will it be with a car accident? Will it be with some maniac in Walmart with a gun? We have no idea how we're going to leave this life. Every single one of us here this morning, we're living on the very edge, if you want to call it that way. Do you know that? Amen. You could walk out this door, drive down the street, and like a gentleman a few weeks ago in here at Coleman, get T-boned and die. You don't know when it's going to come. The Christian don't know when it's going to come. Only God knows. <coughs> the sinner looks at that and says, oh, I don't want to think about that because all my life is invested on living it. I don't want to think on that, but the Christian goes, no, no, I want to, I want to acquaint myself with this guy. No, no, I, I, I want to, in Christ, acquaint myself with this guy. And I want to be able to look at him in the eye when I'm on the deathbed and say, you know what? You don't, you don't cause me any fear or terror. You know why? Because you're going to bring me into the presence of my Savior, whom I love and adore above all things. And I've been walking with him my entire life or my Christian life. And you're going to bring me into the presence of my Heavenly Father, in the presence of my Savior. No, why should I fear you? You're merely my Father's summons. 
But beware, let not this last enemy sneak upon you unawares. Lest you be surprised with fear and doubt. Bunyan kind of expresses that same danger in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, when he's crossing that great sea and heading for the celestial city, he begins to sink. I can't make it. I can't make it. That sea was death. I can't make it. I can't make it. I'm sinking. Who held him up? Hope. Hope. If in this world only we have hope of Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Most miserable. The last enemy, listen to me, the last enemy, death, must never be allowed to wander far from our side, but must daily be kept close to our side as a companion. George Swinnick said it better when he said, no guest comes unawares to him who keeps a constant table. Come sit at my table, death. Walk by my side, death. Be my daily companion so that when it's time to go, oh, I can embrace you and not fear you. Oh, you righteous that are facing death and fear. Look at death through the eyes of Christ and conquer it through Christ. How can I be so assured of that? Well, first of all, like I said, I'm not going to look at the clock too much this morning, but the comforts of the death of the righteous. I want you to notice something. Let me die. Let me die the death of the righteous. Death is divinely appointed. It's not an accident. Listen to me. It's not an accident. It's not by fate. It's divinely appointed. As is appointed unto men once to die. There's the believer's comfort. It's a Pointed. Do you know that your death is a day that God has himself pinned down in his word in eternity and you shall not surpass it? I shall not surpass it. It's appointed. God has appointed it. God will not appoint anything that does anything harmful to his children. He's appointed you and I a day of death. It's appointed. You can't pass it. This goes for the sinner as well. You have a gravestone in heaven with your name on it and a date. When you were born and when you die, you know when you were born, of course, but you don't know when you'll die. You have no comfort in that. The righteous do. My father has appointed a day for me to be summoned to heaven. And let me tell you something, after living in this world for so long and so many years and suffering under the trials and opposition and Satan's temptations and the worldly uh, temptations and myself and everything else, it's going to be a comfort for a child of God to say, I'm glad for that appointed day. I can leave this world behind. Though all men's deaths are divinely appointed, and while the sinner finds no comfort in such divine appointment, 
for it means the end of all that he loves and cherishes. For the true believer, this divine appointment brings the greatest comfort, joy, and peace because it is by or through this divine appointment that he enters into his end. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Before the end, there's death. And Balaam desired to know that death. Listen to me. He desired, he envied that death. Do, do we think the same way? Let not this king of terrors fill you with doubt and fear. Christ has transformed death. Instead of making it a terror for the Christian, for the righteous, he's made it a summons, his messenger. Go and bring my child home. Mm. You ever look at death like that? Go and bring my child home. Go, go and bring my child home. They say before Paul lost his head by an axe, that he actually embraced the executioner and kissed the bloody axe which took his head and thanked him for sending him to his Savior, whom he loved and cherished above all things. That's death to the righteous. Death for the sinner leads only to judgment and torment yet lay divinely appointed for the true believer as a summons to his father's palace. Paul said to die is gain. It's gain. And to depart and be with Christ, depart meaning death, and to depart and be with Christ, you notice how that goes together? Sounds like Balaam, die the death of the righteous, let my last end. To depart, death, and be with Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, I can't be with Christ unless I die. Listen to me. You can't be with Christ unless the Lord comes back before him. You can't be with Christ until you die. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be with Christ? Or do you just want Christ in this world to give you all the blessing? Most Christians live their Christian life mainly for this world. Help me get through the day. Give me blessings. Give me health. Give me food. Give me money. Give me all things I need. They never once or, barely, or rarely think about death. <laughs> you want to see Christ? You know, I've come to learn the closer one gets to Christ, the more he wants to go home. You love him who you've not seen. And I come back to Song of Solomon's. Come thou, my beloved, away with me. Come away with me. That's what death echoes in the ears of every child of God. Come away with me, and I'll take you to him whom you love more than all things. I am the passage into his presence. Yet if we have not walked with Christ in this world, if we have not fellowship with Christ in this life, then surely when death comes, 
we're going to lack the comforts and hope and encouragement. So I say, dear believer, young and old, walk with Christ. Set your affections up there, not on earth. Walk with Christ. Refresh and renew your fellowship with Christ every single day. And as you do, death will be an approaching comfort and joy, not a terror. It'll be a summons, a deliverance from this present world of sin and sorrow. Death to the true believer is a divine summons by the Father to enter into the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25, enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy. Do you know when we enter in, that's what it's going to be? Enter into the Have you ever considered the end of the believer? Listen to me. This, this is why the Lord said he could endure the cross because he looked beyond the cross and seen. This is, this is what we do. We look to the end and then the death is not so bad. You know that? You don't, you don't look at death. Too many Christians stop and look at death. Oh, death. That means I'm dying. I leave my family, my loved ones. What shall they do without me? Where shall I, what shall happen to them? What shall happen to me? I'm afraid. Do I really have faith? Do I really, am I really a believer? Am I true? No. You look beyond that. You look to the end. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's the fulfilling of our Lord's own will. I will. And this is the verse I read for this professing believer this last week in the nursing home. I will. It's the only time in Scripture when Christ walked amongst men that Christ told the Father, He wills something. Everything else was, Father, if it be thy will. Father, if you will. Father, here concerning us, he said this one time, I will. I will that they whom thou, Father, has given me be with me. Where I am. The only way there is through death. You see how it takes the sting away and the fear? The only way there is through death. Death can't harm you as a child of God. Death can't touch you. We're getting that real quickly, I promise. But the Lord tasted death for every man. That's an amazing statement. He tasted it. You know what you do when you taste something? It's intimate. He tasted it. He knows what it tastes like. He tasted it. So that you and I don't have to. <laughs> right. And let me tell you something. Yeah. Just a way of encouragement. A true child of God, even though he might be fearful all the way up to the last heartbeat, I am thoroughly convinced from Scripture, from history, I'm thoroughly convinced that God Christ will not let death have the final victory. He will grant you much comfort and peace in believing. He will. But why allow yourself to suffer under that doubt and fear? It's like an old Puritan said, and I probably won't quote this correctly. He said, but Lord, let this old body of mine totter and wheel back and forth before you summon it. In other words, he said, let me know death's coming. Let me know it. Let me be able to look at it in its face and say, yes, I embrace you. You are not, I'm not afraid of you. You're not the king of terrors. I, let me feel him coming. Let me know I'm going to leave this world into the presence of Christ. Think about that.
Death for the righteous is the divinely appointed summons to enter into the house with many mansions. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When I read those words, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. When I read those words, this dear brother gave such an amazing and unusual smile. He went from fear, smiling, and I had reason to hope that Christ and the words of God had spoken to his heart and the brother by faith in Christ drove that fear and terror away. I have every confidence that when I approach that enemy, if God allows me to, if my body totters and groans under the pains and wages of sin, I have every hope and every belief that God is going to allow me to enjoy the victory over that last enemy. He will not succeed. Therefore, let us not fear this divine summons. And like I said in the beginning, I want you to remember that. Death for the righteous is merely a divine summons of the Father to come home. For it is an appointed by the sovereign love and mercy of God in Christ. Listen to these closing words and verses. And therefore, according to Psalm 116, verse 5, precious, not good, no. precious, the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. If it's precious to the Lord, should it not be even more precious to us? You see what he's saying? By your death, it's precious to him because you're coming to me. He loves me more than I can understand. It's the voice of my beloved. It's precious to him because I'm coming to him. Should it not be more precious to us because we're going to him and we love him? Beckon me, summons me. I will gladly come. I will gladly come. In death's dark veil, I fear no ill. With thee, dear Lord, beside me. Hebrews talks about Christ tasting death for every man. As he came and defeated death, who kept men in bondage, fear and bondage and subject to bondage all their life. He said, I came and destroyed that. He destroyed it. He destroyed it. Why are you fearing something Christ has already destroyed? First Corinthians, I got two verses. First Corinthians 15. Fifty-one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on 
immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory Amen. through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of that, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let me die. Let me die. The death of the righteous. And let my last end be like his. What amazing comfort. May God grant us all grace and mercy. And may you acquaint yourselves daily with this king of terrors. And may you always, always look to Christ. May you walk close to Christ. May you keep him close by your side. So when it is that appointed time, that summonings of the Father, by death to bring you into his presence, you'll not fear it, but you'll embrace it. And you'll long for it. Amen. One last word to the sinner. Don't follow Balaam. It's better that you'd never known the way of truth than when you knew it and you turned away. Peter said, it's better you'd never were born. <clears throat> Heed the warning, Christian. Find comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for... Thy word, we thank you, Lord, for its blessings. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you'll take what was preached and said, and Lord, that you'd comfort your children. I, I cannot do that. I, I'm unable to do that. And I pray that, Lord, your word and your spirit would guide and direct them and help them to see, help them to understand that you've tasted death for every man, that you, Lord, have defeated death. And death is merely for the righteous a summons. It's our Heavenly Father calling us home. Lord, may we see that, believe that, embrace that. Lord, thank you so much. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.